the emperor penguin. Look, he's known as the father who protects at all costs. Did you know that the emperor penguin fathers, they spend two months balancing the eggs of the unborn child on their feet, protected by the underbelly pouch. And they fast for two months. It's known as the father's protection. And now you ladies, of course, might say, well, did you know that the mother emperor penguins, they go off for two months to see, to, uh, to get the food and bring it back for the baby. And that's a good point. But tonight we're looking at the father's protection. We would do well to remember the first word of this model prayer from Jesus. Father. I've enjoyed diving into this word, just one word that is so loaded, Father. See, if you trust in Jesus tonight for his rescue, for your forgiveness of sins, this is what's happened. Peter captures this in the first chapter, um, sorry, in his first book, third chapter, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The Lord Jesus has rescued you to bring you to God so that you can call him father. You're an adopted child. You're an heir to the estate. Sai prayed about that. I've enjoyed just dwelling on that word father and what that means. We're sons and daughters of the living king. And so now as we come to the final, the sixth petition, request, statement that Jesus beckons all his disciples to pray, we come on the basis of being children, speaking to a father who deeply cares, who will go to great lengths and costs to protect, who will lead and deliver, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. We're praying that God would do these two things. Sigmund Freud, the Austrian neurologist, he says, I cannot think of any need greater in childhood, as strong as the need as a father's protection. If you're a father, you'll know that there's a deep longing to look after, to care for your children, to protect them at all costs. And we get this angle from our great father God tonight. I'm reminded of some of those verses that we looked at, some of us looked at in the training of Luke 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will our Heavenly Father protect us through his Spirit? So let's look at these two things, lead and deliver. One, lead us not into temptation. It is the final petition request of the disciples as Jesus models the prayer to them. Look at our Father God. He leads us. Now, every day from my new bedroom office window, I watch people walk by with dogs on leads. Some reluctantly, some very obediently. They go wherever their master leads them. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. He leads we follow he leads reminded of the great psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads. And the prayer of Jesus models to his disciples the way that God would not lead us into temptation, the way that God would lead us away. Now, this sounds quite different, doesn't it, to the green pastures and quiet waters pictured by the psalmist in Psalm 23. Why is it the positive negative? But why is it that Jesus says, um, pray that he would lead us not into temptation? And we've got to understand this word temptation. It, it's a generic word that means trial. So we could be praying, do not lead us, your children, into times of trials and testing that can more easily cause us to sin. So the generic word temptation means trials and we think it can mean and refer to two things as Jesus helps his disciples pray one testing to make our faith grow and temptation that induces sin so when we see this word temptation it can be seen as testing to make our faith grow and temptation that induces sin let's look at this first idea testing to make our faith grow so can we pray lead us not into temptate sorry lead us not into testing times that cause our faith to grow can we pray that tonight is that okay for us to pray lord lead us not do not lead us in testing times even if that causes our faith to grow i've never really prayed such a prayer i don't think not like that and it got my head scratching uh, as I've been looking at this this week. I've more been about your will be done rather than lead us not into testing times that cause our faith to grow. But isn't it perfectly acceptable to ask God that he would enable us to avoid painful experiences? We only need to look at the Lord Jesus. He asks to avoid the cross, if at all possible. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Take this cup of your wrath from me. Lord, please, please keep me from this painful, excruciating, painful experience. See, trials are painful. They cause distress and upset. And yes, yes, it's all right and good that we pray that God wouldn't lead us into times of trial. I think it's all right that we pray that. I think Jesus is intimating to a degree that we can pray that. So let's think about how we might pray that. Now, today, living in Bicester. Please, Father, don't lead me there. Father, Please keep my children safe today, that no hurt may come to them. Father, please deliver me from this miserable job, from this hurtful boss. Father, protect us as we travel in the car this afternoon. Isn't it all right that we pray that God wouldn't lead us into times of trial? Father, please have your hand on the house move 
please make it as smooth, smooth a sale as possible. Father, please spare the financial burden of a large MOT or service bill. Father, please heal my friend of cancer. Please relieve the pain. We can and we should pray that God would spare us from such trials. But even if he leads us into them, we pray that he would not. But even if he leads us into them, that we know we can rejoice that he's put us in this place and that he does his purifying work in our hearts through times of testing and trials. We know that that's what he's about, that he will make us more like the Lord Jesus. So in James chapter one, it will appear on the screen, chapter one and verse two, James says this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking not lacking anything. So we're to take comfort that if these trials did not enable our faith to grow or our relationship with the Father God to be strengthened, then he would remove the hardship we face. We've looked at James as a church. We've looked at Romans 8.28. When Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, we know that life at times can be full of happiness and the next moment sorrows, smiles and the next moment tears, the unadulterated moment of sheer joy to the inexpressibly excruciating pain of a moment. But for children of the Heavenly Father, we can trust that all go towards our good in becoming more like Jesus. And we would pray that God would not lead us into these trials. That's fair. But if he leads us into trials, we know that that is where God wants us. And he's making us more like the Lord Jesus. That's one understanding of this word temptation. It fits within this word trial. But what about the other angle of this? The second way of understanding this short petition. Temptation that induces sin. Lead us not into temptation that the devil uses to entice us to sin. There's a difference between trial and temptation when we pan it out simply. Of course, that word temptation we're saying has two angles of trial and temptation, but there's a difference in them. Packer says, an author, he says, testings are different from temptations in that the devil tempts us, tempts to bring out evil, but God tests to bring out good. And so as we read this and understand the context of the Lord, Lord's Prayer, we know that Jesus has come just from a time of testing and a time of temptation by the devil schemes, 40 days in the wilderness. And let's get something straight. When we pray, deliver us from temptation, we're not and never implying that our Father would lead us into sin. 
Our Father God does not tempt. It's why Olivia read those verses from James chapter 1 a little bit later, verses 12 to 15. Let's read them again now to understand this. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he's not implying that God ever tempts. Our Father God does not tempt. Read it with me. Verse, verse 12, verse 13, let's go. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, we are praying, lead us away from the paths of temptation. That's our prayer to our Heavenly Father. Leaders in paths of righteousness. The psalmist again in, 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 in 23, as we've been reading, he goes on, he says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. That's the father's business. So lead us not into temptation, but lead us on the path of righteousness. Don't we know that from Genesis chapter three, the devil has been tempting man and woman made in his image to trust in other things but God. Right from Eve to today, the whispers continue. Did God really say, does God even exist? If God loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer so. And it's been driven blatantly through mainstream news and media. The temptation not to trust God, not to believe in him. The lie of the devil, it's come through. Two books have hit the headlines. The God Delusion. It's the title of Richard Dawkins. Christians are deluded, he says. God doesn't even exist. God is not great. Title from Christopher Hitchens argues as he attacks the morality of such a God, if he ever existed. Looks the way that the devil has tempted many to turn away, even from the concept of the God of the Bible. And it's been the way that God tempts, sorry, it's been the way that the devil has tempted God's children. The battle that rages within. The whisper tempting us away. Why not try it? If God is a forgiving God, he can always forgive you after. Why would God want to withhold that good gift from you now? You deserve it. The tempting, deceitful, slippery, lying tongue of the devil. And it's why Jesus ends his prayer with a line around deliverance. That simply means rescue us. But deliver us from the evil one. Those words, they simply mean rescue us. It equals rescue. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the devil and his lying tongue and his schemes. The king of lies. Deliver us from the evil one. It's two extremes to avoid when we think of the devil. Perhaps we're prone to either or we side with one. Two extremes to avoid. Here's the first, that we just neglect the devil. We forget. We don't even acknowledge that he exists. 
we don't like the concept so we bury our head in the sand and we just forget and conveniently don't think that the devil really does roam uh, this earth and Peter in his book he says no, no no your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour so be alert and of sober mind don't be neglectful of the fact that he doesn't exist he does exist and he's real so we can go to two extremes one we could neglect the devil and the whole concept that there is an evil one out there or, or the other extreme is that we can get consumed with the idea of the devil the idea of the underworld we can get preoccupied by the devil's tactics and presence and blame him for all things don't neglect the concept he is real he's ready to kill steal destroy all that is good he does that by his lies he does that by his accusations see he appeals to god's own law and he tries to bring condemnation on the basis of right punishment that is deserving through breaking god's rule and law he is the accuser and he will keep accusing he will keep whispering lies to the christian to the child of god we're in danger still from his lying tongue to fracture the relationship between us and God as we continue to follow him as his children. See, if you're not a child of God's, you're in real danger tonight. We must say that. We can't just carry on thinking that all is okay. In fact, later on, Jesus, in the Gospels, it's recorded, he says, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. He's that blunt. He's that plain. So if you're not a child of God, if you don't believe him, trust him for forgiveness of sins, then the devil's already got you. And so it's in that sense, deliverance of rescue is to move you from one master to another. One domain, the devil's domain to the kingly father's domain one eternal destination hell to heaven that's the rescue and if you are a child of god well then we're obviously still in danger because jesus is teaching his disciples deliver us from the evil one Perhaps we're in danger twofold. Let's have a little look at this individually and as a church. So can I ask you, where does temptation lead you? Where has it led you this week? Where has the devil and his schemes and his lying tongue been pulling you away from what you know and trust is true? Sexual immorality. Can I ask what you're watching? Where do you let your mind wander? Can I ask how is your control of the remote control? See, it leads to an adulterous heart. It's painful. It wrecks relationships. And the devil will do all he can for you to fill your mind and to fill your eyes with things that are not healthy. Perhaps 
jealousy? Is that been your temptation of late? What do you desire that another has? Perhaps a personality, an ability, perhaps material things, a house, a career, a relationship, a baby. The devil would love to have his way in compare and contrast with others. But you would hope for those good things and turn them into God things as you pursue them. What about obsessiveness? Often good things that take the place of God in our desires, sport, health, food, good wine, good coffee. We chase after these things to bring us satisfaction and happiness. The devil would love you to play more significance and importance on those things than God, the giver of good things. Been tempted just to trust in comfort for a life that is comfortable, not sacrificial, leads to lethargy. Perhaps we need to keep an eye on that as hopefully restrictions relax and we can see each other and, and, and others more. It's a, temp a temptation to stay in our own castles. So that's where we can rule and dictate what life looks like. See, the devil is real. The battle is real in the heart of the Christian. Coldplay sang a song that I think was uh, helpful. Of one, of the, uh, one of the verses in the song, the tightrope that I'm walking just sways and ties. The devil, as he's talking with those angel eyes, and I just want to be there. When the lightning strikes and the saints go marching in, he speaks of that moment where he knows life is tough and the devil will pull and sway, but he'll convince with angel eyes. What about us as a church? Can I go there for a moment? Richard Coken in his book on the Lord, Lord's Prayer, he pulls out three areas that as a church we will be tempted in over centuries. And the thrust of the New Testament shows these three areas of temptation where the devil would love to drag us away and tempt us. One, disunity in the church. He tempt us, sway, sway us around secondary issues and personal gripes that threaten to undermine God's plan to unite the church under the headship of Christ. Paul deals with this. He says, listen, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. When those secondary issues arise, it's not just flesh and blood. It's not one man versus another, another, a woman versus another. No, no, it's spiritual forces of evil getting their way and forcing the church to part on secondary things. Where do we at Town Church need to be aware of this? Second reason, suffering in Christians. It leads Christians to lose hope, to stop trusting that God is good. He's rescued us through Jesus. The devil will tempt us in those moments to say God is not for us. Renounce him. Now, you could say we're a long way from that, but who knows in time. And the third area he points out is saying the lies of false teaching, where a different gospel is being preached. The New Testament is peppered with examples of wolves in sheep's clothing, ready to tear the flock apart. You see, the devil is re real and ready to devour and our lives are under constant attack. Now the wonderful children's 
children's story, The Pilgrim's Progress, is written by John Bunyan. He captures this brilliantly. As Christian, the hero of the story, because he trusts in God, meets Apollyon on the road to the celestial city. And Apollyon is the devil. And he says, where have you come from and where are you going? And Christian says, I have come from the city of destruction, the place of all evil, and I am going to the celestial city. And Apollyon says, that makes you one of my subjects, for all of that country is mine, and I am the prince and God in it. How is it that you have run away from your king? You see, the devil, Satan, will attack us in a thousand ways. He'll try and persuade us that he's in charge. He's in control. And here's the wonderful news of the gospel. It's that Christ has conquered Satan and he has delivered us from his powers. Look, there's a raging battle still within as the devil would, would keep undermining what Christ has done on the cross. So when we pray, we must remember this, deliver us from evil. We ask our father to continue protecting us from our defeated and doomed enemy but he's still prowling around like a lion still able to devour those who don't recognize or watch but he's ultimately defeated so we ask god to protect us in trials of painful testing and temptations that induce sin we ask him to continue to protect us we apply the victory of the cross throughout and ask our father to deliver us from the evil arrows of the devil. He's gracious and he loves to protect us. Lord, lead. Father, lead. Father, please deliver us. And that's it. That wraps up the Lord's Prayer. And yet you and I will be familiar with the ending of the Lord's Prayer in a different way. For thine is the kingdom. Do you remember these words? The power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Look, this ending, it doesn't appear in the original manuscripts. That's why it's not found in our Bibles. But it is found in the majority of the Greek manuscripts. And it's thought to be included by the, the Apostle Fathers, the Apostles Fathers. So it's, it's those who knew the Apostles and learned from them. And it's part of our tradition now as we recite the Lord's Prayer. And it's a good one. It's not scripture, but it's a good one. It summarizes much of what has been said already. For thine is, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Packer, he sums this up brilliantly. He says, look, this is it. The Lord's Prayer is packed with prayer and praise. They are like a bird's two wings and both working well, you saw with one out of action, you're earthbound. Birds should not be earthbound, nor Christians praiseless. And so we finish the Lord's Prayer by saying, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in case you didn't know what amen meant, it simply means yes. Yes, that is the truth. Packer argues that every prayer should, however many people are praying it, should finish with a resounding amen. As the people of God shout, yes, that's the truth. A definite yes. I agree. That's what amen means. And so 
we finish there with our men and we sing about such truth. We're going to sing a song now, Why This Fear and Unbelief. As we're contemplating this, as we think, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into those times of trial. Lead us not into times where we can be tempted, enticed then to sin. Look out for the last verse, verse three. Don't fear your banishment from God. Since Jesus sets you free, the accuser will go on the attack, saying you're not worthy. Has he really done this for you? He'll keep lying and lying to you. And we need to sing words of truth that say, no, no, no. Here's the gospel. Here's the glorious work of the Lord Jesus. Let's sing this song together.